everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. Glad you came. Uh, you'll probably want a Bible today. If you didn't bring them, I moved them. So if you didn't see them in the normal place, I put them in the far corners, the reaches here of the room. Uh, and we'll be back in Isaiah 60 for the third and final time. In fact, um, if, if you're not wanting to get up and get a Bible, uh, could, you could just raise your hand. And Lumi, could you bring like Bibles to people on the side of the room if they raise their hand? And uh, Isaiah, could you, if anyone on this side of the room raises their hand, can you bring them a Bible? Uh, that'd be great. I want to summarize with the quote uh, where we've come so far to just really boil it down. Um, this is a quote from Mark Sayers that I used a couple weeks ago. It is a mirage that we can have community without commitment. Uh-oh. Well, I know it well. It is a mirage to say that we can have community without commitment, uh, faith without discipleship, or the kingdom without the king. We talked about last week what it means to be a citizen of this kingdom, a citizen of this new Jerusalem, this new city that we look forward to coming. It means that we don't just make Jesus an important part of our life, but that we let him be king over our entire life. And discipleship is really the process of opening, opening yourself up to be led by others in the way of Jesus. And before we open up to Isaiah 60, I want to show a couple pictures from our potluck and worship night last Friday. And this is going to tie in, so you got to pay attention to this, okay? I love potlucks, first of all. I have a lot of happy memories of potlucks of like eating one of everything and then doing it again and just being super full. That's, I'm an adult now though, and I just had one plate. So thank you very much. I did have one of everything almost though. <laughs> but, uh, it was a really great turnout. There were people, uh, there was eating, next slide, and there was worship. And the, the best thing that was served on our Friday night potluck was the worship. If you were there, it was sweet, and it was beautiful, and it was, it, it was accompanied by communion, but to put Jesus at the center of a gathering just changes the focus. To put Jesus at the center of your life changes everything about your life. And uh, I think that, in part, links us to Isaiah 60 in the new city. Here it is. <laughs> what's, what's notable about the new city, the city of God, the new Jerusalem? Remember the source of light. Who is at the center of that city? Jesus is the lamp. And it's the people of God gathering. And, uh, and I think there's food in the new city too. Like if you, if you believe in resurrection, if you look at what Jesus does right after he rises from the dead, like the, the, the party, the gathering, the people coming together in unity and just exalting Jesus as king. And so with that, let's pray. And we'll, I'm going to read through the entire chapter today. We've been building toward this. So brace yourself. Come Holy Spirit. We invite you to fill up our entire life, 
so that we can live as if you are king, so that we can proclaim with our mouth the love that you have for people and show with our lives just the goodness and the righteousness and the justice that you embody and desire for this whole earth. Let this be a time where we become more like you, where we can imitate the person of Jesus as we go out. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Isaiah 60. Hope you may be there. Page 760, is that right? Yeah, 760. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. And remember, this is that same city that is described in Revelation 21 at the return of Jesus. Verse 2 is a description of the current state of the world. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy, for merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense, and it will then they will come worshiping the Lord. The flocks of Kedar will be given to you, the rams of Nabaioth. I have practiced that this morning, and I still can't get it out. Nabaioth, there it is, will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings, and I will make my temple glorious. And what do I see flying like clouds to Israel, like doves to their nests? They are ships from the ends of the earth, from lands that trust in me, led by the great ships of Tarshish. They are bringing the people of Israel home from far away, carrying their silver and gold. They will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has filled you with splendor. Foreigners will come to rebuild your towns, and their kings will serve you. For though I have destroyed you in my anger, I will now have mercy on you through my grace." Your gates will stay open day and night to receive the wealth of many lands. The kings of the world will be led as captives in a victory procession, for the nations that refuse to serve you will be destroyed. The glory of Lebanon will be yours, the forests of cypress, fir, and pine to my beautiful sanctuary. My temple will be glorious. The descendants of your tormentors will come and bow before you. Those who despised you will kiss your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord and Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Though you were once despised and hated with no one traveling through you, I will make you beautiful forever, forever, a joy to all generations. Powerful kings and mighty nations will satisfy your every need as though you were a child, nursing at the breast of a queen. You will know at last that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. Violence will disappear from your land. 
The desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls, and praise will be on the lips of all who enter there. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give its light by night, for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set, your moon will not go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. All your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people, and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, the Lord, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I come away from that passage with one big question. What are the ships of Tarshish doing there? That's the same question you had, right? Or were you wondering if your, uh, your dog went to heaven when he died? Is that what you were wondering? Uh, I am curious about the ships of Tarshish because of the way that these ships show up earlier in Isaiah. So flip forward to Isaiah chapter 2, page 701, and hopefully you will see why the ships of Tarshish sailing into the new Jerusalem, the picture of heaven that we get, and maybe not its most detail because Revelation 21 and 22 definitely add and give certain perspectives, but it it gives us a, a, a very, uh, I would say, beautiful picture of what everlasting or eternal life in the city looks like. So look here at uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. This is, again, talking about the day of judgment, which is followed by the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Verse 12, for the Lord of heaven's armies has a day of reckoning. He will punish the proud and mighty and will bring down everything that is exalted. He will cut down the tall cedars of Lebanon. Remember those? And all the mighty oaks of Bashan. He will level all the high mountains and lofty hills. He will break down every high tower and every fortified wall. He will destroy all the great trading ships. Now, if you have the NLT, did you notice that there's a little star there? That means there's a note at the bottom of the page. What does it say? Every ship of Tarshish. He will destroy all the great ships of Tarshish and every magnificent vessel. Human pride will be humbled and human arrogance will be brought down. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Idols will completely disappear. And so here in Isaiah 2, we have the ships of Tarshish being destroyed. And in Isaiah 60, we have them coming into the city. What's going on here? How can we resolve this tension? Is Isaiah just confused? That's what some people would say, actually. Uh, that Isaiah has like multiple personalities. Uh, I'm serious. And if you know a little bit of like Old Testament Bible scholarship, you, you know that. 
But uh, I think there's a better way to resolve the tension. And to do that, uh, let's not jump to the end of the Bible this time. Let's jump to the beginning. We'll answer the question in terms of the bigger biblical narrative. So Genesis chapter 1. You'd think it'd be easier to find because, you know, it's the beginning. But these Bibles have, like, introductions and uh, page 6. Introductions and tables of contents and everything. There we go. This is the creation narrative where God creates all things and he creates them good or bad. Good. He says about everything he creates that it is good and then he gets to humans. And in verse 27, do I say? Yep. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. What? Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. What do humans fill the earth with? First of all, other humans, people. Uh, sex is good. You should have it if you're married. And if you have kids, that's part of the filling of the earth. And, uh, and something else. Fill the earth with people and something else. Jump to Psalm 24. Right after Psalm 23. Which is a more famous psalm. Sorry, that's like a terrible... I'm just like not funny. Psalm 24, page 573. What are the ships of Tarshish doing? What does it mean for the cedars of Lebanon to be cut down in judgment in Isaiah 2, but brought into the city in Isaiah 60? Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, if you have a pen, which you maybe don't. I never seem to. But uh, where it says everything, just above that, right? Fullness. It's the same Hebrew word that we find in Genesis 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness in it. The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and he built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in its holy place? Only those whose hands are and hearts are pure and who not, do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So, in Isaiah 60, we have several images that are, like, I think legitimate, like real. Like, we will see cedars of Lebanon in the New Jerusalem, but what they represent is fairly interesting. We have cedars, we have sheep, we have rams, we have ships of Tarshish bringing silver and gold vessels. These are the cultural goods, the economic produce, the, the, the best of what each culture in the world has to offer, and they bring it to the true king of all the world. So for Lebanon, it's the cedars. For the Dutch, I guess we make really good windmills. I'm Dutch. And tulips. <laughs> and butter. Oh, this is good. This makes me feel really good. <laughs> 
Uh, Philly will bring its Wawa. <laughs> and, uh, and Korea will bring its food. I don't, and they do many other things. You know, like the idea is that in God's command for people to fill the earth, it's not just population, it's also cultural beauty that includes the technology, the architecture, the, the cultural identities, the food, the music, the, the dialect, the dress, all belongs in the city of God. Isaiah 60 is not saying that like, it doesn't matter what you've done in life, everybody goes to heaven. Like Isaiah 60 is not talking about universalism. Uh, if, if all we had was Isaiah 60, you might draw that conclusion, but there's a lot more in the Bible that would indicate a judgment. But in the way that God both judges the world and redeems and transforms the world, he takes everything and turns it toward his good and makes it, shapes it for his glory. So just to jump back to Isaiah 60 here real quickly again. Did you notice now the function of the camels and the Sheba and the frankincense, like which were the pride of these people's like goods and the sign of their economic power. Like if you had camels, you were doing well. These were like the, uh, the ships that are all stuck in Seattle's harbor that can't get in like with all the good, like the camels brought economic consumer, consumer goods. That's like a little... That's not quite the word I'm looking for, but you know what I'm saying. They come to bring them as worship for the Lord. The rams and the flocks and the cedars of Lebanon no longer represent ethnic or national pride, but become the building blocks for the Lord's temple. Let me, uh, let me read from a book that I just think is Incredible. Richard Mao wrote a book called When the Kings Come Marching In. He was the president of Fuller Seminary, like before this one. So maybe 10 years ago. He says, The Bible begins with a garden and ends with a city. The holy city is the garden plus the filling. During the course of history, sinful human beings have added to the garden, contrary to the Creator's intentions, things that are perverse and idolatrous. But God still insists that the fullness, belongs to him. And he will reclaim it at the end of time, in doing so, transforming it into what he originally intended for his creation. This is why the wealth and the glory and the honor of the nations must be gathered in when the day of the Lord arrives. God's ownership must be vindicated at the end of history, which is why the ships of Tarshish bring their gold and their silver. And there are a couple things that happen in this redemption, in this reclaiming. The first of which is that the idols vanish. So a lot of the things that we exalt, uh, let's take our military, for example, which is not foreign to Isaiah 60. Military uh, technology is not foreign to Isaiah 60. The ships of Tarshish likely would have had a military element to them. But what will tend to happen with a military is uh, it becomes the place that we look for our safety and our peace and our comfort. 
above God. We trust in our military. The Bible uses language like this all over. Some will trust in chariots. Some will trust in navy boats. Some will trust in bombs. But we put our trust in the Lord. Something has to happen to this technology. Something has to reshape it, change it, make it in a way so different from what we have used it for to make it worthy of the new city. Back to Isaiah 60. Did you keep your finger in these passages? Probably not, sorry. But you found it once. You should be able to find it again. And I said Isaiah 60. I meant Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2. Verse 4. I still hear pages turning, so I'll give you just a second. This is one of, I think, the most remarkable verses in all of the Bible because of the vision that it gives for what will happen to the things in this world for which you think there might be no redemption. Isaiah 62, verse 4. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for any war again. See what's happening here? Because there's no war in this city, because there's no violence in this city, the weapons of humankind get transformed into garden tools. That is a vision of the future that takes more imagination than most humans could muster. But the redemptive reach of God's transformative power has no end. So I don't know what our aircraft carriers will be transformed into in the new heavens and the new earth. But God has a purpose. Maybe they become medical ships, except for there's no dying in pain. So I don't know. But like that would be the idea. Something else happens uh, beyond this transformation. There's a, the, the idols disappear. Like the way that you think about the things in this world that are like good, like that God created good, that belong to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof often compete with God for priority in your life. So this happened, uh, this is a story that happened this week. Uh, you know that I have a two-year-old and uh, she still takes a nap pretty much every day. And uh, it is common practice for one parent to take a nap with her. <laughs> it's, uh, in this case, uh, it was Allison taking a nap. Uh, and they're napping middle of the afternoon and suddenly Allison senses this cold thing on her cheek. Do you know what it was? Were you listening last week? Something cold gets pressed against her cheek. Isla has brought ice cream <laughs> from the freezer. Because <laughs> we have one of those fridges that have like French doors and then a drawer. And she can, I mean, she doesn't weigh but 30 pounds, but she can get that drawer open and she took the ice cream out of the freezer while Allison was sleeping and brought it up to her cheek because she 
wanted ice cream. Now, it wasn't breakfast time. Remember, it's nap time, so this is on the table. But what does Allison do? She makes Isla put that ice cream back in the freezer. And then she makes coffee, and then she gives it back. She gets the ice cream. She gets the ice cream out of the fridge and puts it in a bowl, and Isla has a bowl of ice cream. What happened there? We've been saying this to our daughter pretty much every day for the last year. <laughs> Who's in charge? And she knows. Mom and dad are in charge. What happens if Isla is in charge of the ice cream? What happens if a two-year-old is in charge of the ice cream? What happens to the ice cream? It melts. It spoils. It's worthless. It's perverted. <laughs> it's tainted. Because it's not going to end up back in the freezer. <laughs> what happens to the house? It's a mess. What happens to Isla? She's a mess. <laughs> and if all she does is eat ice cream whenever she wants, uh, I mean, that's not good for your health, right? I have heard people argue that ice cream is good for you, but I don't know. It doesn't seem to, like, match up. But what had to happen is Isla had to offer up the ice cream to mom in this case. She had to surrender the thing that she wanted. She had to put the ice cream in its place as under the, say, rule and reign of mom and dad. And she ended up getting it back to enjoy, in this case. Not always the case. And isn't that how it is for us, too, with the things that we love and the things that we want? We have to surrender them to Jesus, knowing that he might give them back for us to enjoy, or he might not. The kings of the earth, as they bring in the wealth of the nations... offer up the best they have in service of the king, the true king. This doesn't mean that they're citizens of the city, but it does mean that the, the culture, the, the goods, the beauty, the art, the things that the humans have filled the earth with are given back to the creator, the one to whom or for whom actually owns everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So, why does Isaiah 60 matter? I think a few things come to mind. First of all is that culture and work have a spiritual dimension to them. So when God brings heaven to earth, he does not create this melting pot of culture. He is not going to assimilate everyone. Uh, resistance is futile. He will not add your distinctiveness to his own and make everybody the same. Instead, 
he will do like what my wife Allison did for the potluck when she brought broccoli salad. Like the, the ingredients were mixed together, they were distinct, and they complemented each other. That was the second favorite thing that was served up at the, uh, the potluck, for me at least. I have to say that, though. I have to say that out, the thing Allison brought. And, we, and, and so, like, part of our culture in the Midwest is, uh, you know, broccoli. Broccoli is too healthy to be served by itself. Uh, so we have to add mayonnaise and bacon. But, but anyway, the, the idea that the cultural riches and wealth of every nation and of every person and what you have built with your life get brought to the city and don't just get lost like a drop in the ocean, but get preserved and transformed and redeemed and made perfect and holy, but like the cultural identities and the, the, the uniqueness actually carries through, something is recognizable, like that's, that's good news. It means that, for instance, the, let's just make this real concrete. We play, uh, we played some Taylor, we play some Taylor Swift as you come in, not just Taylor Swift. Did you notice that? Like Taylor Swift and Mumford and Sons and, I don't know, Tyler puts together a playlist. I don't even, I'm not really cool enough to pick out music, so. There's like, there's redemptive value in like every song. There's something good and beautiful that will eventually bring glory to God, or maybe the better way does bring glory to God, but also isn't all good, right? Like it's not perfect. Like that's true of all the media and art. Uh, I will even say Facebook like there, was a des- there is a design for which Facebook can create community and unity and civil discussion. Uh, but I think that's a, that we may have to wait for the new heavens and the new earth for that to change. <laughs> but the idea is that culture has this, like it belongs to God. And there's good redemptive value in it if we... Look for it. It also means that as we work, everything we do, uh, we do to serve the Lord. So, how many people here love your job? That's pretty good. You love your job? Not bad. That's great. Not everybody here loves their job, but here's the deal: you don't you don't work for your boss. How many people here love their boss? <laughs> A couple. Yeah, less people. <laughs> I'm required to love the boss. <laughs> Sign <laughs> in blood here. <laughs> uh, you don't work for your boss, ultimately. Everything you do, you do for the Lord, for Jesus. You work, you serve, you, you stand behind the Wawa counter, you, you mop the floor, you build the computer program, you manage the people. God bless you who manage people. <laughs> computer programs like are very linear and people are very not. So I like, (laughs) there is kingdom value in your work. There is kingdom value in it. Now, second thing though, in this uh, Isaiah 60 passage is that there is cultural discernment that must happen. Do you know what I mean by that? So because we live on this side of heaven, while everything has good redemptive value, not everything is good for your soul. So we may play Taylor Swift and we may play Mumford and Sons, but we, we don't play things that have uh, like 
foul language that exalt sexual immorality, violence, stuff like that, because that's not ultimately going to be something that is good for your heart. I'll tell you guys, I just deleted Facebook off my phone this past week. I've had enough. I cannot think of a single time where I got off Facebook feeling better than when I got on. I don't think it's doing good things for society, for my heart. Uh, I, find my, I was finding myself on Facebook when I didn't mean to be. I would like check the weather and suddenly I'm scrolling and I don't, like it's, it's not what it used to be. And I, you have to make that decision for yourself. I'm not saying everybody needs to delete Facebook, but maybe just for Christmas. Think about how much better Christmas would be if you just took Facebook off your phone. Maybe, maybe try it. Um, the shows we watch, like they're, oh, I mean, I'll just be honest. My wife and I started watching Game of Thrones and I know there are people who love that show and there is like, there's something in it that people are drawn to, uh, that is true, but we didn't make it past the opening ice zombie scene. We just thought this is not going to be good for us. And I, I hear it goes downhill from there. <laughs> so you have to use cultural discernment and decide whether the media that you're consuming is shading your view of the world. Is it making you more sinister, more cynical? Also sinister, sinister is also true. <laughs> I have watched television shows and I find myself like mistrusting everyone. It's like, I gotta stop. I mean, I'm drawn to this because there's something true and good in it, but uh, I mean, pornography is a great example of how something beautiful has been twisted and entire like industries have been built around enslavement and objectification and it's not it's not good Isaiah 60 reminds us that while everything has redemptive potential there is still judgment and there is still discernment that we must exercise Third thing, the fact that the ships of Tarshish are bringing their goods into the city mean that, means that nothing and nobody is beyond redemption. It doesn't matter how badly you've screwed up. What, it doesn't matter what sins you've, for, you've committed. If you're willing to repent, there is a place for you in the city. Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. Jesus came for the people who know that they need to repent, not for those who think they need no repentance. And there is a growing, I think, number of Christians, people in the world, <laughs> secular and people of faith who don't think there's any need to repent because my actions are justified, because it feels good, I'm not hurting anybody. And that is... Uh, that is not a repentant posture uh, to defend your own actions. And I mean, the grace of God goes far. We have to be ready. There, there, was a, there was a survey done a long time ago, you know, about who you think will be in heaven. And a surprisingly few people think that Mother Teresa will be in heaven, like only like 70%. Uh, politicians get really low scores, <laughs> <laughs> like 30s and 40s. But you know, everybody seems to think they're going to be in heaven. Like 90% of people believe that I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's 
possible. That's true, but that's probably not. I mean, I, I actually, I have, I find comfort in the fact that I am at the mercy of God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus. Like I can stand with confidence, but I stand in confidence uh, because I know that I'm a sinner who needs to repent. <laughs> and uh, the 90% of people who think they're going to heaven, I have a hard time imagining that they're all very repentant. But anyway, we, we have to be ready to acknowledge how, f- how far the grace of God can go. So just remember that if Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Hitler himself repented or repents, we might find ourselves seated at the table in the new city with the people that we have made our enemies. And there's this other funny thing that happens in the new heavens and the new earth. All your secrets get shouted from the mountaintop. So all the things you said about a president (laughs) will become open. And you're there because of the grace of God. And if they are there, it will be because of the grace of God. And that's why it works. The reach of God's redemption knows no end. So let's pray. Jesus, please come soon. For ourselves, we just ask that you would keep us in a humble posture. Keep us from becoming proud. Um, Remove the idols of our hearts. Take away the mental gymnastics we all do to some degree to justify our own actions and our own beliefs. Form us to love like you, to live like you, Jesus, and fill us with your spirit. As we move into worship, we pray that you would speak to us. And as we sing, we want our posture to be with you at the center of this time and at the center of our life as we hail you as king. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.